0: Okay, good morning everyone, good to see you all. If you've got a Bible, could you turn to the book of Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4. It's the last one of our series today. We are finishing finishing, um, the book of Philippians, we've been going through it for the last 10, 11 weeks or so, Um, and a lot of last things. We're heading down to Christmas, how's the Christmas shopping going? Done, I'm impressed. I did on Friday, Melanie and I, we did our ideal type of Christmas shopping, which is to sit down in our kitchen with a computer, a cup of tea and a mince pie, and tap, 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 click, and it all hopefully will arrive at our door at some point in the near future. Next week, um, we've got our new series starting, Let There Be Light, which will run us down to our Christmas, our Christmas uh, series. I think we've only got 30 sleeps to go, something like that. If I look that up correctly, maybe one wage packet left before Christmas. I hope you've got all your shopping nailed down. But as we head into the final section of this letter, let's just recap where we've come from. If you've been following us along, um, we've been looking at the theme of joy. If you're new and you've missed it, please go back. You can check out some of the um, sermons, they're online. Um, You can read the book of Philippians, it doesn't take long, it's a short letter. Uh, where Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and this theme of joy comes up all the way through the letter. We've seen the key to joy right at the beginning, being Jesus himself. He's the only place that we can find true and lasting joy. But we've looked at joy in loneliness and suffering and death and anxiety and conflict and temptation, a whole bunch of those things. And today, you'll be pleased to know we're looking at joy in nothing, Joy in nothing. Matt asked me this morning, he said, "Have you brought chocolates? Because it's the last series. We should last of the series. We should celebrate." And I said, "Well, I'm making an application. We're going to take joy in nothing this morning. So I brought you nothing, but you're still going to find deep and lasting joy because Jesus is still on His throne. And so, what we find is Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and we know from his situation he's in prison. He's in a Roman prison. He is w- awaiting possible execution." Paul has nothing. Everything he's got has been stripped away. His church—that he was far from—he loves the church in Philippi. He planted it way back in Acts chapter 17. He's not with them. He's got nothing. He's got no friends. We said he's been lonely. He's been suffering. His health has gone. He's waiting possible execution. That threat is hanging over him. He's been reduced to as little as man could have. He's no freedom, no time. He can't go where he wants. He can't do where he wants. Even though he's a Roman citizen. Everything's been taken from him, and he's awaiting possibly a horrific death, if that's what's coming to him. He doesn't know, so there's that uncertainty. But within it all, Paul has joy, and we've seen it through his letter. We've seen it again and again in whatever situation, whatever comes, whatever he's facing. He has joy, and so what we're going to look at today is this last part of the letter and where Paul finds joy in nothing. Let's read the passage. I'm going to put it up here. If you haven't got your Bible, um, you can follow along. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, we'll look at three things um, this morning about finding joy in nothing. We're going to see persistent contentment, loving partnership, and pleasing service. The first one is persistent contentment. Now, Paul, alone in prison with nothing, facing his own death death is in a dire situation, yet we've seen he's found joy in his circumstances, joy in his situation. And even as his passage begins, he talks about joy. He's rejoicing in the situation. And he says in this first section that he has found how to be content, how to be untroubled in all situations, whether he has a lot or whether he has very little. That's what he is. So what's his secret? How has he found joy? And he also mentions that he's had some um, relief from the church in Philippi. They've sent something to a man named Paphroditus, who we met back in chapter 2, has come to him from Philippi, a a long journey, uh, a dangerous journey, to bring him some kind of gift. We don't know what the gift was exactly. I think it's some kind of material gift, maybe money or food or finance or something to help him in his situation. And so that's what happened. But what is Paul's secret to persistent contentment? Well, the first one, it begins with God. It begins with God. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, it says. His focus, as it has been, we see at the beginning of chapter four and also at the beginning of chapter three, that Paul, one of his phrases, he rejoices in the Lord, which means his focus is not on the things of this world that can be taken away from us very simply. Very easily, it's actually on God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he's done. That's what I'm going to rejoice in. I'm going to rejoice in his salvation, his forgiveness, his mercy, his hope, his grace, the way he's lorded my life, the way he's leading me, the fact that he is a loving God, and he is watching over my circumstances, and he is growing me more and more into his likeness. That is going to be my focus. That is what I am going to rejoice in. Even when Epaphroditus comes and brings some kind of relief to his situation, whatever that was, he's, he puts his focus not on the gift that he's given, but actually on the one who's behind it, which is God. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. That's where I'm going to put my focus. That's how I rejoice in my situation. When I have little, when I have a lot, I put my, rejoice, uh, my rejoicing in him. And it's also, we find that Paul's joy is not dependent on his circumstances, he discusses with them, he writes in their letter what's happened. It says that they've, been, they've now revived, which is a, is a kind of a botanical term about a flower coming into bloom. It says, you've revived your concern for me. What was dormant has now come to flower, has come to f- fruition. They have been concerned about him. They're now manifesting that concern with a gift that he had brought to him. And Paul is saying that actually that gift that you've given to me in my need has been wonderfully received, but actually, the truth is my circumstance, my joy is not based on that. My joy isn't based on my circumstance because I found the secret of having lots and having little, of having freedom and also being in prison, of having life and energy and also facing the threat of my own execution, which could be coming up in his future. He says, I have found the joy. And what he's doing is he's echoing um, Greek Stoic philosophers. Who would say that we need to find our kind of our purpose and our, our sort of our strength from within ourselves? And actually, Paul is saying, actually, I'm the total opposite of that. I have found contentment, but not from within, but from without, not on my circumstances, but on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where I put my focus on. That's what it means. And I, he says he's been brought low, which means he's been humbled when things are often taken away from us. You know, our freedom, our finances, our home, our relationships. It's as though we've been humble. We suddenly realize what we cannot rely on. And Paul says he's been through that. He knows what it leads to be brought humble. He knows what he is to have great success. He's seen church planted. Many people come to know Jesus. He's had ministry success, and now he's in prison as a result. And so he knows what it is like. And in that final verse, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through the Lord Jesus. Now, often this verse you hear bandied around on anything, especially in Christian circles. You know, you want to climb Mount Everest. Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The fact that you're in your 80s, only got one leg and blind, it's, you know, it's irrelevant. I can do all things. You know, people put these verses on everything. But actually, what Paul is referring to here. When I say I can do all things, it's when I know I can live in plenty and I can live in need. I can do all of that through Christ who strengthens me. Whether I have vast resources at my disposal, I'm healthy, I have a home, I've got food, I've got clothes, I've got a loving family around me, a great church I'm a part of, I can do that through Christ. But at the same time, you can take all that from me and I can be alone and I can be in prison and I can be chained up with Roman soldiers and I can have minimal food that isn't very good quality, I can be cold, I can be unjustly kind of accused of things, I could be facing death, and do you know what, I can do that, because Christ is the one strengthening me. Christ is the one who's with me, and it says no matter what situation I find myself in, Paul's contentment comes from knowing Jesus Christ, and knowing what that means, and knowing that all the things he has in him are secure for eternity knowing that his salvation, his forgiveness, his mercy and his grace, his love will be poured out on him regardless of the situation. So Paul says, I can be content in all circumstances. The next thing he goes on to, he talks about, is a loving partnership, which also brings him great joy. And that's, this is with the church in Philippi, which Paul planted. Acts 17 has a long um, kind of uh, sto- several stories about how that came about with um, incredible, miraculous um, events. And the church began... And Paul has a deep connection for him. And for Paul, relationships were more important than stuff. Relationships brought him joy more than material possessions. Which often, if you look at our world, we can have it the other way around, can't we? We can often look at it the other way. Material stuff is more important. Especially with Christmas coming and all the kind of the advertising and everything that surrounds it. It can be just more, 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 more. My kids have got to an age, a scary age, where they don't want to watch CBeebies anymore. <laughs> They're now 6 and 8. It's too small for them. And so they've moved on to other channels with other kind of cartoons and stuff on it. And do you know why the worst thing about it? One, we don't watch Octonauts anymore, which is tragic for me. But the other thing is that the, the, TV, prog- the TV channels they watch now are full of adverts. And it's terrifying. See, I love the, the BBC, you know, pros and cons of BBC. But the best thing is they don't have adverts. Now they're, just, they're advertising, and you can see them being bombarded with this stuff, and it's just it's horrific. So we've had to have conversations about this. But the point is, it's just more stuff. It's just more stuff um, that just gets accumulated and eventually ends up in the bin or a charity shop or a landfill. But Paul talks in this section about a loving partnership he has with the church in Philippi, a a relationship we have that was born out of the church beginning together, him being a part of it. And this partnership takes a number of aspects. The first one is they share trouble together. Paul said, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Now, if you think about this, the church in Philippi have sent one of their leaders to Paul, who's in prison in Rome, awaiting possible execution for following Jesus. If you're a church and you've got one of your good leaders there and you're under pressure and persecution because we know Philippi, the church of Philippi is that, is it a good idea to send one of your leaders to the prison where they've got the Jesus preacher in there? Mm, wisdom might say, Epaphroditus can turn up and the guards can look at him and say, you're a friend of Paul, you preach Jesus. Well, guess what? We've got another cell right here. Just for you. Thanks for gift wrapping yourself to us. But actually what the church of Philip I did, with thought it was worth it because we, we want to be part of what Paul's ministry is. We're going to suffer with him because the cause of Jesus is way more important than that. So Epaphroditus has come and Paul recognizes this. You are sharing with me in my troubles. I know you've got it rough back home. I know you're under pressure. I know you're under persecution. I know stuff's going on there. Yet in those circumstances... You're willing to send one of your best, one of your leaders, to me, many miles away, a dangerous journey across the sea, to serve me in my time of need. And so there is a a sharing of troubles in this relationship. It's not all about the good times. It's actually about the bad times as well, and Paul recognized this. This relationship is also about giving and receiving, Paul says. It says that actually we have a partnership here, which means it goes both ways. True relationships go both ways. Relationships where you're working together, it's about giving and receiving. And Paul and the church in Philippi gave and received. It says that actually they're one of the only churches that has been doing that. It says even when he had moved on from Philippi and he'd gone down the road, which I've I've, I've looked up how far it was, about 95 miles Bear in mind, they don't have cars or decent roads kind of thing. He traveled down the road to set up another church in Thessalonica, which is also having trouble. They sent aid to him even when he was there. And so when he's now moved on to Rome in prison, they're still sending aid with him. But it goes both ways because they've accepted his ministry. Paul is their apostle. He's the one who started the church. He's the one who writes these letters and says, you need to sort stuff out. There was, uh, when Matt spoke last week, there was the two ladies who'd fallen out. And he said, sort it out, girls. You're disrupting the church. He speaks into it with authority. But at the same time, they are willing to serve and give to him as well. So there is a two-way relationship. There is a partnership between them that it works both ways. It's not just one doing all the work and the other just receiving. It's both giving, both receiving. And the result of their loving partnership, it says in verse 17, is what? That there is growth in God. Paul recognizes Because you have sacrificed, because you have Given because you have sent this gift with one of your leaders all this way here, he says, actually, I'm not seeking this gift so much, but what is increasing to your account? It's a kind of a financial term. It's actually saying, You're you're gaining interest on this, you're giving to me, but actually your account increases as well. So it looks on the surface like you're losing out. The church is losing money or whatever it was that he gave. So the church now haven't got those resources, but Paul's saying, in God, you're growing. In God, your account is increasing, and that's the reality. When we give, when we serve, when we sacrifice, there is something that comes back to us in God, that we grow in maturity, we grow up in him, we grow in his knowledge of his love and his grace and his goodness and his faithfulness. And Paul is saying, you've given me this stuff, which is wonderful, but actually even in turn you are growing as a result of that. So we see a beautiful relationship between the two um, parties in there. And the final part there is pleasing service, pleasing service. Paul finishes by talking about what they've done and he uses some images to bring out What has happened? And the first thing is he shows that this is pleasing to God. The gift they've given, the gift that they have received, is actually not only pleasing to him. As in, he's received it, great, I've got something. But actually it's pleasing to God. He uses sacrificial language. He uses priestly language. And he talks about a fragrant offering. A fragrant offering. When things are good, they often smell good. We went out last night for dinner, my wife and I, and she got dressed up, put on the perfume. She smelled good. You can smell the fragrance. And this language comes throughout the Bible, this image of a fragrance that is pleasing to God. It's an image, it goes way back to Genesis, I think it's chapter 8, with Noah. And when Noah came out of the ark, he made a sacrifice because he had survived the flood. And it says... The the aroma of the sacrifice went up to heaven, and it was pleasing to God. And if we carry through the story of the tabernacle and then the temple, you have the altar of incense, you have the sacrifices, and when they're offered with a a good heart in faith, it says that God smells them and is pleased with them. There is a pleasingness about that in the heart of the worshiper to God. And then we move into the New Testament, we find the language repeated again in terms of repentance, in terms of prayer, that when people do these things with dedicated hearts to God, God finds them pleasing. You can actually please the heart of God by your actions. And Paul's saying here their service and their giving is the same. It says the gifts you send, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Wouldn't that have been a joy for the church to hear? Because many of them would have given out of what they had. They'd have sacrificed. They'd have given in the offering that had been taken. So Epaphrodites would have carried it all the way. And actually what Paul is going back to them and saying, actually that was pleasing to God what you did. That was a wonderful and beautiful thing. And the service of believers is something that is pleasing in the eyes of God. And then we have the provision of God. It says, um, Paul Interestingly, Paul is receiving this. He can't repay back. Often we have that situation. Have you ever been in that situation? If someone gives you something, you suddenly realise, I need to give it back. You know, if they invite us round to dinner, we need to invite them back to kind of, you know, repay the offer, repay what's been done with that. If they give me a birthday present, my goodness, I must remember on their birthday to give them a present back. Have you ever been? Th- is it just me? You're looking at me blankly. You have done it. Good. That's right. But what? What? But Paul's in a position where what? Can he repay anything back? No, he's in prison. He's chained up between guards. He's got something back and he's like, do you know what? I'm stuck. I can't do anything back. And he recognizes that that's okay because ultimately everything comes from God. Everything is God's. The gift they've given is from God. Epaphroditus' ministry, who's brought it to him, is from God. The church in Philippi is from God. Everything they have is from God. And he says, that's okay because my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Whatever you need, God's going to provide it. I can't give it to you because I'm kind of isolated and stuck here, but actually everything you need is ultimately going to come from God. This pleasing service, whatever you need in the situation, whatever you need what's going on in the church, the grace to stand up against persecution, um, your material needs, all those things, ultimately God is the one who's going to provide it. And he says, actually, he makes a really graphic statement. He said he's going to repay it, or supply it according to what it says, his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And that's a big word, the riches of God. Because the riches of God are inexhaustible. The riches of God are eternal. The riches of God go on and on and on and on and they cannot be measured. And so Paul is saying, whatever you need, whatever you need, whatever your situation is facing, he can provide. You're not going to bankrupt god you're not going to get the end of his love his grace his grace his forgiveness you're not going to do that he is going to provide everything you need and then paul finishes off there right at the end with a word of praise to god after all he's saying the only thing he can do is worship god it is to our god and father be glory forever and ever amen everything comes back to praise of god the gift he's received ultimately it's praise to god The ministry that he's received on behalf of Paphroditus, ultimately it's praise of God. The church that has sent that to him, ultimately it's about praising Jesus and giving grace to him. And if we look at the last kind of two verses um, or three verses at the end there, we actually get back to where we started the letter. He says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. To the brothers who are with me, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He comes back to Jesus. We looked at the beginning of the letter. How did it start? Paul and Timothy were servants of Jesus. Begins with Jesus, it ends with Jesus. One of the studies you can do through Philippians, as well as looking for joy, is look for how many times he mentions Jesus or the Christ. Those kind of terms. They are riddled throughout of it. Paul wants them to understand it's all about jesus how do you find joy in your circumstances when things are good or bad it's about jesus how do you find joy in suffering it's about jesus how do you find joy in anxiety and loneliness and even death it's all about jesus it all comes back to him everything is always about him all right we're just going to finish let's have a few Bits of application for you. I want to look at two angles of this um, for your application to try and earth this, because I want to look at us as a local church, how do we apply this um, as a corporate body, but then I also want to talk to us about individuals, how do I apply what we've learned through this series um, and this morning. The first thing I want to look at is our, us as a local church. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and they're a large body, and he has an min- outside ministry that comes in and serves them he was involved with them, but he's basically pointing to something larger. Paul was involved in planting many churches. He had responsibility through them. He wrote letters to them. He, you know, He'd been traveling around. And as a local church, we're part of something bigger than just us. It's not just us here. We're part of something way larger than what we do here. And I'm so glad, in the grace of God, that we are. We're part of a large family of churches that spreads around the world called New Frontiers. We're part of the section of that called the Catalyst Network, which is based here in the UK across the Islamic world as well. And so it's not just us. We are, we are part of something great in so many hundreds of churches. The movement is led by a man named Simon Holly, who's based down in Bedford at the King's Arms Church. And he kind of leads us as a movement, and we have leaders' days and days of prayer and fasting. We also have the Catalyst Festival, which we as a church went to last, it was this year, wasn't it? Last May. We went to, there was 150 of us, which we took away for the weekend that we fed, and it was a fantastic time, the highlight of the year. We were joined by several thousand others from our network where we worshiped together big conference hall. Um, we had teaching and seminars, and the kids had kids meetings, and there were youth meetings, and there was a whole bunch of time and fun together, and that was just a corporate expression of sort of what we're doing as a network, and we heard from people who've been serving all around the world, planting churches in Turkey and across the Islamic world, ministry of the poor in this nation and the nations beyond. We're part of something so much bigger in what we do just here and we can get a little bit kind of connected or focused on what we are it's all about us we, but we're actually part of something so much wider we have a man named andy martin who oversees us as a church In one sense he's like our Paul. he's the one who comes and speaks into us we've invited him in to do that he speaks to me as a leader of the church on how i'm doing To Melanie and I, to my leadership team, he comes in and and we invite him to speak to us with authority. We say, how do you think we're doing? What can you see in us that needs to change? What do we need to work on? And he comes alongside us and he helps us with that. He comes here on a Sunday and preaches to us and I love when he comes. I'm trying to get him to come at the beginning of next year so you'll see him if you haven't met him. He tells us stories of his ministry because he works hugely in the Islamic world. Majority Islamic world and helps uh, churches get planted and other things going along. And so when he comes in, one of the things he does, he just tells the stories of what he's done about people he's met who've had visions of Jesus in the night and become Christians from completely non-Christian backgrounds. And it's just stunning. And he talks about he met with church planters in this nation and he went to that nation and met with more church planters. He went over here and he met the underground church in this nation. It's incredible, and we love having him as part of 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 connection with our church. we as a church, local church, in terms of giving and receiving, we give to the Catalyst Network as a whole. We give 10% of our income. We tithe every penny, a tenth of every penny we get goes out to that to serve ministry overseas in apostolic church planting, into uh, ministry of the poor, training, um, New leaders in some of these areas to raise up indigenous leaders to lead churches in their nations. We give as a church. We also separately support Andy Martin's ministry um, of what he does because he's he's partly employed by a local church in town that we know well, Church Central. Um, But he also spends a lot of his time out. So we give to him £100 a month. We're looking to increase that uh, the new financial year in January. So we Give um, to him in what he does is acknowledgement of his serving to us. We also seek to serve more of those outside of us. Um, Live village down in South Africa that Ben and I and Ryan and Taz went to see last um, this year is in August. Feels longer, doesn't it? It was only not that long ago. We went down there just to see what they're doing um, and just to try and kind of learn a little bit. And we're trying to bless them. We pray for them regularly in our prayer meeting. We give to them financially. Um, it's 100 pounds a month at the moment. I think we want to increase that next um, year, increase what we're doing, what they're doing, the way they're serving um, the poor and the needy, the orphans in that nation. South Africa has an incredible uh, problem with um, the orphans, and they're trying to do something to help that, bring them into a home, teach them about Jesus. Um, and we, we continually kind of pray for them and what they're doing there and serve them. So there's that. We also have the food bank, which is a much more local thing, but that's sort of outside us serving those of the community. We give to them regularly. Um, financially, we ask for donations every week. We did that this year. We ran the fun run for money for them in all they're doing. We as a family are doing the reverse Advent calendar this year. Have you seen that that came out on the email? We, we want to do that where instead of um, we get a basket and every day of Advent you just put something in there and then the end of um, January when we come back we've got a basket of stuff to just to contribute to the food bank. So we're going to be doing that as a family this year as well. So we're seeking to serve those outside of us as a local church. And I'm telling you this, one, I hope you know some of this stuff, but two is just to remind you that we are part of something bigger. It's not just about us and what we're doing here, as important as that is, and that takes most of our focus because this is where we spend our lives most of the time, but we're connected to what God's doing all around the world, and we're connected to his global mission in some way, and we are thrilled to be a part of that, and we want to long may that continue and all that God has got for us there. Okay, let's move on to the next thing about us as individuals. How are we going to... Apply this as individuals. I've got a bunch of questions that I want you to maybe jot down, ask yourself, think about this week when you go home. Maybe discuss it over lunch um, or dinner. So here's the first question: Are you content with what you have? Are you content with what you have? We're all in different situations. We all have different kind of um, life circumstances. Jobs and and, and whatever, family situations. But are you content with what you have? And let's talk about the first one, the big one. Have you found Jesus? (laughs) Because if you haven't, it doesn't matter about anything else, as far as I'm concerned. If you're not a believer here today, you need to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus. Because he is the only one that you can find true contentment in. He's the only one who will never change Despite the circumstances of this world, he's the only one that you can put your hope and trust in that will actually last. Nothing else will. Political institutions, ideologies, they all eventually fall. They will all eventually come to nothing. Jesus is the only one. If you're in that situation here today, I want to chat to you at the end. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. But if you are a follower of Jesus here, which most of us are, are you content with what you have? Are you content with what you have because you found your joy in Jesus? Whether things are going well at the moment, however you define well. You've got food, you've got homes, you've got clothing, finances are fine, everything's working out. There's no stress, there's no pressure in those areas. Have you still found contentment? What happens if you're in the other end of the spectrum or you're oscillating between the two where actually things are tough, money's tight, threats of jobs, um, pressures at home? all those situations, have you found contentment? Do you prioritize relationships over stuff? Where is your focus? Where is your heart? I challenge you, particularly at this time of year, as we head into the silly season, what are you putting your focus in? What are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your joy in? Have you found the secret, like Paul, for contentment in whatever situation I face? It all comes back to Jesus. He's the one I find my hope in. He's the one I find my trust in. Are you making priorities in spending time with him? Jesus, that is, to find your hope and trust in him, to find your joy in him. Because without spending time with him, reading your Bible, prayer, being part of a congregation, you're going to get lost. You're going to get blown off course. You're going to just, it's going to be harder. It's going to be harder for you. So are you content with what you have Next question. Are you willing to give generously like the church in Philippi? Are you willing to give generously like the church in Philippi? The Bible, we believe, says that we are to be generous people. The reason we are to be generous people is because it reflects the heart of God. God has given us everything. He gave himself. He has given us the ultimate and on top of that, he's given us everything else we have. All our food, our clothes, our housing, our cars, our jobs. Everything comes from him. Even the smarts that you use to get the job you have comes from God. Even the, the breath you're breathing in and out now, and as your heart pounds and your lungs work, it's from God. It's not from you. It's not because you're smarter or better. Everything we have comes from God. And so when we, re- we are generous with what we have, our time, our energy, our money, It's just a reflection of what God has done in our lives, and we as a people of God are to be the most generous people in the world because of what we had. In terms of finances, let's break that down. We believe that the baseline for Christians, mature Christians, is is to give tenth, a ten percent. That's your bottom line. We tithe. As a church, we tithe. We give that to the Catalyst Network. On top of that, we have offerings that we give. My heart, my desire is I haven't got this through the directors yet, but I want us to allocate a further 10% of church money to give outside ourselves. I want us to be a generous people. Me and my family, we give we have 10% of what we give, bottom line, and then on top of that, a bunch of offerings. We did a series called um, What's in Your Wallet, which was probably about 18 months old now, but you can get it online. I outline at the end of that series my personal finances, how much I get paid, how much my wife gets paid, how much we give. If you're interested in how that works, go and have a listen. Just a curiosity how much the pastor gets paid, you can go and have a listen. But actually, that's our response. That's what we're going to be. We're meant to be a generous people and we're going to give. And one of the ways it reflects is our money. The flip of that is, are you willing to receive? Because part of, it's good to be generous, but actually on the same time, you need to be able to receive generosity. You need to be, if someone wants to do something for you, to bless you, are you willing to accept that? Because that can almost become a, a form of pride the other way, when actually I'm happy to give, but I'm not happy to receive. Paul, in our letter, has given much to the Philippian church. He started it. He sacrificed much to make it happen, and now he's, all, he's got, all he can do is in position to receive. I'll just take the gift you give him because you know, I've got nothing else here. You could say he wrote a letter, but that's basically it. He can't do anything else for them because he's stuck in prison. Are you willing to receive? Now, I've got a caveat that's with honesty. I've been um, a leader in three churches now, um, and I want to say to you as a church, I have never seen a church as generous as you. I'm serious about that. I've been an elder. This is my third time around the, kind of <laughs> around the, around the, uh, the block, so to speak. And I want to say you guys are a generous people. I've seen it time and time again. I have been on the receiving end of it time and time again. I watch you serve one another. I watch you give and love and care for one another. And I just need to say that as your pastor that I am. It's a privilege to lead you because you do that. You need to hear that. And so the point, I guess, of this is don't stop. (laughs) You guys are amazing. You really are. It is just—it is a pleasure to be your leader in this area. Um, but I just want to encourage you: don't quit. Keep going. Keep modelling what you're doing, because it has a profound impact not only on us as a people, but on those around who see. People constantly, when they hear about the church and they hear about some of the stories, they just can't. They're like, "You do what in your church? What happens?" And I, I have to shrug and say, "It's normal." <laughs> Because it is for us, but actually for a world outside, it's not quite so normal. So I want to say, well done, and keep going. And the last one, are you willing to serve those around you? Are you willing to serve those around you? And for Paul, with the language he used, are you willing to share in their troubles? Because that's, in essence, what you're doing. When you're serving someone, you're kind of you're entering into their situation, and often if you're serving someone, they're in a difficult situation, which is why you need to serve them. And so what you're doing is you're entering into their troubles, whatever that may be. It may be a financial situation. It may be a relational difficulty situation. It may be an area of sin. It may be a whole bunch of other things. But actually, are you willing to serve those around you in need? This begins primarily... Um, the Bible says that we are to primarily serve the household of faith. That's where it starts. That's where we practice. We serve one another in the church. We're in relationships. We're connected. We have life groups here that we ask everyone to get connected in so they're in community. And that's where we, we begin our service without working with our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And we look for needs there and we know them because we're in community and we're in relationship. And we look to do what we can to meet those needs. Whatever they may be, they may be small, they may be relatively large, but it's not to stay there. We practice here, get it right, then we go out into the world. And I don't know what your place of influence is, where you spend most of your time, Uh, workplace with kids, connecting with other parents with kids, whatever it is, doing volunteer work, wherever you find yourself, are you willing to serve there? Is your attitude one of service? How can I make this better? How can I add to what's going on here? How can I be a positive influence in this office, in this situation, how I deal with these clients or these customers or this particular management team I'm a part of? Whatever it is, are you seeking to be a positive influence and serve those around you? What about wider? We've got events coming up. Look, notice that? Seamless. Some of you are going to text Melly and say, pick me. I want to serve in messy, <laughs> in messy Christmas. Are you willing just to serve and give of your time and energy to make that happen? The food bank, in terms of what we give to them, meeting needs around us. What about Live Village? Some of you are going to go. Some of you are going to go and spend time there. And you're going to spend a year out or whatever. Give up your job and go there for a year. Are you willing to heed the call of God in your life in that? And again, I say to this church, you are really good at this. You are good. I see... Service happening so much in so many places, where you are willingly giving up your time, your talents, um, just to help one another and help kind of people move forward. I see it in this church. I see it outside the church, serving people, serving neighbours, and in their workplaces, and just kind of going that extra mile for people. And I'm saying, don't stop, <laughs> keep going. It's beautiful, and it, it when you do that what that is remember the image that we had what that paul used what was it it was a fragrant aroma you smell good <laughs> some of you are not so good but you smell good in the other way you know what i mean it's a bit close in here isn't it um but you guys smell good you really do and i just want to encourage you and pray keep going keep finding your joy in christ Keep finding that joy in whatever circumstances you're faced with it. Stand alongside one another in your life groups and in your relational um, communities that you have. Put your focus on Jesus, and then through him, you will have an impact on the world around you. The smell that you take with you will affect your homes and your offices and your neighbors. And you will point people to Jesus, and they will look at you and say, what is it that's different about you? And you'll be able to say, I found my joy in something that will last forever. And that's Jesus. So do you want to stand and we're going to finish? We finished the book of Philippians. Can the band come up? (laughs) What are you doing? I'm just going to pray while these guys get ready. Do you want to close your eyes? Lord Jesus, we want to stand here today. And say, as a church, as individuals, it's all about you. Lord, we want to just recognize afresh today that it's all about you. Lord, we want to stand and say everything we have, everything we have is from you. It's not from our ability per se. It's not because we've been smart. We worked out it's all gifts of grace you, Lord God, and we stand here today and we say again, everything in our life we have is from you, Lord, and we thank you and we praise you, God, and we ask, Holy Spirit of God, that you would come and fill us afresh now. You would teach us, again, that secret of contentment in all circumstances, that we can have joy in everything and we can have joy in nothing, Lord Jesus. When things are good, we have joy in you. When things are bad, We have joy in you, Lord God. When we are facing loneliness and suffering and anxiety and temptation and conflict, even death, Lord Jesus, we put our eyes on you and say, God, you are our everything. You are the one that we are looking to. You are the one that we are taking joy in, Lord. You are the one who will not fail, who cannot fail, Lord, who will never spoil, perish or fade, Lord Jesus. You are the everlasting one. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords who sits enthroned above the heaven. And Lord, we say, We love you, we praise you, we worship you. And God's people said,